That school is incredibly challenging and incredibly hard. And then to walk across the stage and have a diploma at hand is just a totally emotional experience, even just thinking about it. From the Texas Veterinary Medical Association in Austin, Texas, this is Veterinary Vitals, a show that features open and honest conversations with veterinary professionals. I'm your host, Dina Goldstein, Media Coordinator for TVMA. This final installment of the recent graduate mini-series features a veterinarian who graduated just two years ago from Texas A&M University College of Veterinary Medicine. Her name is Dr. Bethany Weinheimer. She talks about the challenges of being a recent graduate and how she is already overcoming them. Some of those challenges are personal, like making new friends as a young adult in a new city. And some are professional, like clients expressing skepticism because she looks too young. One challenge that I don't think I would ever be able to overcome is adjusting to her sleep schedule. She works the overnight shift as an ER doctor at Veterinary Emergency Group in Fort Worth, which means sometimes she doesn't go to bed until 8 in the morning. She goes to sleep when most people begin their days. To Dr. Weinheimer, it's all worth it. She loves ER medicine, but she didn't always know she wanted to pursue this field. Well, actually, I started my interviews for, you know, post-graduation, um, you know, my first real job as a doctor. And I had actually started interviewing at mostly day practices, to be honest. And then as I started going through a few externships, I started realizing I'm feeling a little bit bored. You know, is mm. it just because I'm not the one talking and not the one able to give the information to the client? Or is there something else going on? So then I decided to take an externship at an emergency hospital in Houston. Mm -hmm. And after that, I decided, yeah, that was a lot more my pace, my speed. Got it. And so I really fell in love with it then. So I had already done probably like 20 interviews for a small animal practice and I scrapped all those. I sent them an email and said, hey, I've decided to do emergency <laughs> medicine. And then I started re-interviewing with emergency clinics um, all around the United States and just trying to find the job with the best fit for me. Okay. So you were just in your element working in like a fast paced environment. Yeah. And I like the fact that I don't know what's coming in. So it could be, you know, a simple back disease dog versus, um, you know, anything from heart failure to pneumonia. And I like that I have to kind of learn on my feet instead yeah. of, you know, knowing what's coming in and being able to study it the night before. I really enjoy kind of having to figure it out as I go through the case and really dealing with critical cases is really enjoyable for me as well because when they make that turnaround, it's just a spectacular um, yeah. thing to be a part of. It's truly touching to be able to take an animal that's pretty near death and then be able to give them the treatments and the medications and then see them come through and see the love that all owners have for their pets and you know the dedication that they show through that process and mm -hmm. also it you know even your staff you know as they step in and they're able to help revive and worked toward fostering the growth and the development and the healing of that patient. I think all of those things together make it totally worth it. Of course, sometimes there are 
there are downsides to being yeah. in an emergency setting. I'd say that it's big wins and big losses, um, but the big wins are what keep us moving forward. And knowing that the animals need us at all times of the day is yeah. another big aspect that really comes into play with this. So tell me about one of those big wins where you saw an animal come in and you weren't sure what the outcome would be, and then it was a positive outcome. Yeah, so... I had a case a few weeks ago actually that came in. It was a middle-aged small breed dog um, that had basically presented for a laceration repair. It had been attacked by a larger dog um, while it was out and about. And so on the outside, you know, it doesn't appear to be that intense. It just appears that there are a few puncture wounds and a laceration just under the right elbow of the dog. What we still take x-rays um, to, and do blood work screening for internal bleeding. We do a trauma screen for x-rays and the radiologist doesn't see any um, air entering into the body cavity. So they're not suspicious of a pneumothorax, which basically means air has come in to your chest cavity, which is normally a closed cavity. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that, we went ahead and started the laceration repair. And as we started getting in there, we had realized that there was actually three different areas where the dog's puncture wounds had penetrated into the chest. (sighs) Yeah, I know. It was a pretty tough case. So what ended up, you know, we were anticipating being being a quick 30, 45 minute laceration repair ended up turning into a four hour surgery where we were having to take the muscles in between the, you know, rib cage and get those closer together. And luckily... You know, the dog did great under anesthesia, and we put a chest tube in, pulled all that excess air off, and the dog was home in 24 hours doing wow. great. Yeah, so we actually got a call from that owner recently this week and was just saying that the dog is doing so well and running around being being super happy, and, and it was a great outcome. So that was definitely yeah. a case that, you know, to the outside didn't seem that bad and then once we got in there we could find that it was a pretty severe case and then you know we had a very very guarded prognosis with this patient since mm-hmm. there were so many areas the muscles were quite torn and a, a few of them actually looked like they were starting to die from lack of blood flow so we weren't uh, sure that any of it would stick yeah. and so it was a, a really intense <laughs> really really intense case but man it those owners were just so sweet and thoughtful and they were you know prepared to go in even though um we called them and told them that it was going to be quite an intense surgery and much more that we were anticipating they were all on board and the love that they had for their pet was just overwhelming and they were Mm -hmm. so grateful for all the work that my staff and our Mm -hmm. clinic did for the little little furry friend that we have yeah So do your emotions go up and down? Like that seems like a situation where you'd be like really nervous. And then once things start to look up, you take a breath. Does that happen at all for you? Yeah, I definitely think that emotions come into play. You know, we love animals. That's why we join this profession is because we are just infatuated with the idea that we can be the people to step in and save an animal um, when they're sick or when they're ill. It's such an honor to be a part of a profession that can help basically beings that can't speak for themselves and mm-hmm. to be that voice. And so it's an incredibly emotional thing to be a part of their rescue or their healing process. And yeah, there are definitely times where you get nervous for the patient and you're not sure that they'll make it. And sometimes, unfortunately, they don't. But the best that we can do for them is to honor them and give them you know, everything that we have to give them the best medicine and 
essentially put all of our heart into each case. Yeah. And so that's basically how it goes. And yeah, sometimes, sometimes you cry and sometimes you get, you know, really attached to owners or really attached to some of our patients and some of them just really touch your heart. And it's a total blessing to be able to be in a position where we have access to um, helping these animals in a time of need. Yeah. And how do you cope with the ones where the animals don't make it? Do you have any strategies for coping? So for me, it is very emotional process when we lose a an animal of any kind and I think the best way for me personally to cope with it is to know that when an owner makes a decision to euthanize a patient and or you know that patient passes away on its own that we did everything that we could and that if we are intervening by euthanizing a patient that we're actually honoring that patient's mm-hmm. life by being a part of it and sometimes these owners are making the hardest decision of their life and they're making a very selfless decision Mm -hmm. because oftentimes us as humans want our animals to be around forever you know because we love them so much but sometimes making that decision to actually put them out of their suffering is actually a truly way to honor their life and it is a very selfless decision and so for me it's like a coping mechanism is to really look at it as okay this dog has been so loved these owners Mm -hmm. are so great and I get to be a part of this journey by helping them you know um basically in their suffering and make sure that they're having a more comfortable life on the other side so tell me about the typical life um like a typical day for you yeah so my typical day (laughs) usually sleep in until probably like Uh, noon or one in the afternoon yeah so then I usually wake up go to the gym get my little workout in if it's uh, nice and warm outside I'll go for like a jog with my chocolate Labrador (laughs) Um, yeah so we like to go on exercise outside and go for little runs and then uh, usually I'll have shifts that start at different times throughout the day anywhere from like 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. and then Sometimes they last throughout the entire night. And so essentially it kind of depends on the day. If it's a day that I go in at six, I'll go back home, you know, get showered Mm -hmm. and make dinner and then make a lunch or I guess like a second dinner, I guess. Yeah, midnight snack. Uh, Yeah, make a midnight snack for the rest of the shift and make sure I have all my waters and everything packed. Mm -hmm. And then since I do work a 14-hour overnight shift, we'll actually take the girls. So I have a a dog and a a little calico kitten as well. So I take both of them with me to the overnight shift since, you know, 14 hours is way too long for a dog to hold it. (laughs) Um, So they're best friends. I'm able to bring them with me to work and they hang out and usually the technicians, you know, sneak in extra love for them and they are just the little social butterflies at the clinic. So yeah. Um, Then usually I work, you know, sometimes at work it's really slow and we can take a break and, you know, just hang out with the staff and other times we're really slammed Mm -hmm. and there's no time to slow down and you're doing surgery from four to six thirty in the morning and that's just how it goes. So it honestly depends on the night. Some nights it's incredibly slow, some nights it's incredibly fast and I like that you can't predict it. Yeah. (laughs) So... That's essentially what it looks like. And then at 8 a.m. after the overnight shift, you go home and you sleep until you have to go back in for your next shift. So. Yeah. Was it hard adjusting to that that lifestyle? So at first it was definitely challenging. I think I had a much better sleep schedule when I was able to regulate 
my sleep. So usually I go to bed at like 3 a.m. and then I wake up around 11 or 12. Mm -hmm. Sometimes later one, if my body needs to sleep, I let it sleep, (laughs) you know. Um, But essentially if I try and get ready for bed around 2.30 a.m. and head to sleep at 3 a.m., that can kind of regulate my sleep schedule so I get a better quality if it's more standardized except for when I work the overnight and then you know, just try and work on that same schedule. So it's not too off balance when I have to stay up until eight. Okay. So just say you stay up till eight and then you go home and then you, you get to bed around nine and then you sleep and it seems yeah. like you don't get that much sleep. <laughs> yeah. Usually you don't really get that much sleep. Luckily I'm a high functioning person so I can function at yeah. minimal sleep levels. But yeah, I definitely think as an emergency doctor and Unfortunately, that is one of the risks that you take on as far as being a part of that is that you go in with the understanding that, yes, you are definitely going to basically have a little bit of lack of sleep. And you're also going to have to sacrifice a lot of holidays and stuff with your family. So there's definitely a sacrificial side to working emergency medicine. And I know that that's why some people can't do it forever. And so that's kind of just part of the pros and cons Mm -hmm. you know the pros are that it's fast-paced you learn a ton in a very short amount of time you have access to you know internal medicine specialists and surgeons at our hospital so that that is all a beautiful part of the medicine the downsides are that sometimes you don't get a lot of sleep and then sometimes yeah unfortunately you have to work the overnights which changes how you can interact with people during the day yeah and then it also you know sacrificing holidays and stuff with your family too but I'd say it's still worth it (laughs) yeah so how has it affected your life personally yeah so I think that it is definitely harder my boyfriend now fiance Michael proposed to Dr. Weinheimer on March 15th in Eagle Beach, Aruba. Is you know, in the military and he has a standard job that he's off on weekends. So sometimes when he comes to visit me on weekends and I'm still working, it's mm. definitely hard because we like to, you know, go out and go to go to a game, you know, go yeah. to a Dallas Stars game or go hang out and um, you know, get to know the city a little bit, but it's definitely challenging. And you know, now I live about five and a half to six hours away from my family so in order to see them I basically have to have at least three to four days just to drive down there one day spend a few days with them and then drive back the last day um, because it is such a long commute Uh, but totally worth it when I'm able to go see them you know I think that when I was interviewing for an emergency room position I decided that finding a job where I could do all the things that I wanted to do and surgery was definitely one of those things because I really am passionate about surgery I love it Um, it's different every time that you go in Mm -hmm. and even if it seems standardized there's always something cool that you can learn and it's just a growing process every time that you get to do a surgery so do you feel like a whole new veterinarian now than you were when you first started on day one yeah I definitely (laughs) do I feel like school was really great and you learn a lot of very very high quality medicine and then when you get put into this position where you're now the person you know talking about finances and unfortunately veterinary medicine I I always give this example you know people love their dogs like they're their children but people don't necessarily buy insurance for their dogs like they're their children Mm. (laughs) you know so unfortunately finances are definitely a part of veterinary medicine especially in an emergency setting right like people aren't anticipating on their pets um, falling ill all of a sudden like usually we're seeing animals that come in because there's something unanticipated going on 
And so, unfortunately, that is a part of our job. We have to organize and work with people. So opposed to school, we're able to, you know, usually people that go to the tertiary referral hospital um, have a lot of access to a great deal of finances. Maybe mm-hmm. the people that we're working with, you know, only have a couple hundred dollars and, you know, what yeah. can we do with that and still do what's best for the patient. And yeah, it definitely gets, tough. it does get tough. Um, and do I feel like I'm a totally different veterinarian? Yes. I feel like <laughs> <laughs> when you get out it, uh, I feel like some of the struggles are one, you don't have that community, right? When you're in veterinary school, you live five minutes down the road from all your friends and you can mm-hmm. hang out and study together and you can, you know, go over a surgery with someone and then all of a sudden, especially me working nights, you know, everybody else is working during the daytime. So you kind of almost lose a little bit of sense of that community and you go to a new place where there's new people and you don't have as many friends and it's, okay, like how do I get I guess, immersed into the Dallas culture and how do I, you know, access new friends? What's it like to make a friend outside of, <laughs> outside of work, you yeah. know, and being able to kind of mitigate all those things. And then um, as far as the medicine, I feel like I knew quite a bit coming out of school at Texas A&M is an amaz- amazing school. You know, we learned so much. They have an incredible education program. And even stepping in day one I felt very confident and Mm -hmm. happy to have the job that I did have but I feel like even now I'm constantly learning and I think that that's the beauty of medicine that you always get to learn and you always get to grow and there's always new research papers and new statistics on things so there's always something to learn and always something to um, basically develop your medicine and to help the patients a little bit more yeah and so you graduated in what year I graduated from Texas A&M in 2018 Okay. So I'm out like a year and a half. Okay. Wow. So you've learned a lot within a year and a half. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) I'd say I've seen quite a few things that have definitely grown my medicine and, man, stuff that you read about or when you're studying for your national boards, you read about all these weird diseases like rat bait poisoning and stuff that you've never really experienced before. And then working in an emergency setting, we can see multiple of those in a weekend just Mm -hmm. by the location that we're at where there's a lot of animals in that location. And then two, it's just kind of, you know, we're the only people open in the middle of the night. So it kind of all accumulates to where we're kind of getting filtered a lot of different animals and Unfortunately, sometimes it, we see really, really bad stuff mm-hmm. um, simply because it is critical. It's an emergency hospital. Lots of blood transfusions, lots of plasma transfusions, uh, but it's all added up to making me a better doctor. So, yes, I really do enjoy it. So because it was so recent, do you remember how it felt when you uh, received your diploma and walked across the stage? Oh, of course. It was, <laughs> oh, man, even when I think about the day and when you have hard cases I think about this too you know the day that you got your acceptance letter and Mm -hmm. oh man it makes me emotional every time just like that joy you know how bad you want to get in and you basically work your entire life you do volunteer hours you do you know all the interview practicing and then you do the actual interview and just that acceptance letter on the inside of that it just makes it totally worth it and then again same concept with walking across the stage to know that vet school was incredibly challenging and incredibly hard and then to walk across the stage and have a diploma at hand is just a totally emotional experience even just thinking about it Mm -hmm. Um, but yes I definitely remember graduation I was able to um, give the prayer at the beginning of the commencement ceremony so that's nice yeah it was really fun yeah 
So how did you feel entering the workforce, like that first day or two? The first day I did show up to work, I was pretty nervous. Luckily, I had my last rotation at school was actually an externship. And Mm -hmm. so I got to do my externship with the clinic that I currently work at. Okay. Yeah, so it was really nice that I got to kind of see a little bit of background to, you know, how do we make an estimate and how do we talk about an estimate to an owner and how mm-hmm. how do we get them to sign off on this paperwork and what do you, what does that conversation look like? Um, so that part was really nice and I think that it did prepare me quite a bit, but that first day that you have to introduce yourself as like Dr. Weinheimer, wow. it is very intimidating. <laughs> you know, those first few rooms were very uh, overwhelming and you know, sometimes the interactions that we have with owners are very, very positive. And I think that sometimes me appearing young definitely changes people's interpretation of whether they should trust me or not. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's a big challenge that we face too, uh, just as being a young graduate, especially in an emergency setting. You know, they already don't know me. They don't have that one-on-one relationship with me. You know, they mm-hmm. don't see me for their vaccines. They're seeing me on an emergency basis. So I think all those things kind of accumulate. But yes, I was definitely nervous and kind of a little bit anxious my first day. But after that, it was just almost systematic that we went into play and were able to, uh, you know, take cases and adjust them as we go through. So because you're young, what do you do to show pet owners that you're just as qualified and prepared as someone who is maybe 10 years older, 10 years into practice. Yeah, so <laughs> I definitely go in and introduce myself, shake their hand, you know, act really professional. If they make a comment about, I've had one lady say like, oh, you look 12. <laughs> it's like, really? I look prepubescent? Okay. Oh. <laughs> you know, but, you know, I just, you know, shake their hand. I kind of laugh. I say, yeah, I use like some really expensive face cream, you know, <laughs> and they usually laugh and then I can revert the conversation back to yeah. talking about their pet. So That's usually good. I just turn it into a little bit of a joke and then usually they take it really well and we just move forward from there so but yeah I mean there are definitely challenges to people um, basically assuming your intelligence based on your age and some people you know see that as a benefit right like they're getting the cutting-edge medicine I just graduated and other people use that as a way to be skeptical and you know whatever their opinions are my best thing and the best way that I handle it is just focusing on their pet Mm -hmm. and you know identifying what's going on the best way to treat it and then how to move forward uh if there's ever anyone that isn't completely uncomfortable with my age, I can always offer them to see another doctor if that makes them more comfortable, but no one's ever taken me up on it. You know, usually they just backtrack, oh, no, I do trust you, <laughs> you know. Um, so it's it's almost just like confronting it and mm-hmm. bringing it to light, and then usually they're like, oh, no, I'm fine. It's okay. good. <laughs> yeah. And so one of the challenges that you've talked about um, – graduating from veterinary school and entering the workforce has been uh, not being surrounded by uh, your colleagues. Like like in veterinary school, you're just like five minutes away from your friends. Um, so can you tell me about that, um, like creating a, like I guess, having a different kind of community and how what you've done to make yourself feel a little more at home and having a sense of community? 
Yeah, definitely. So my boyfriend and I have started doing photography. Um, I started taking photography classes when I first got out, something that I've always loved. And so that's a way that we interact with people and we build community by, you know, taking pictures for other people. And so that's been really fun. Other ways are just like going out and meeting people and not being afraid to, you know, introduce yourself and, and then create and keep connecting with these people in order to foster those relationships. I will say that it is a lot more challenging since I work weekends and nights that mm-hmm. it is challenging to stay in contact with those people. Um, but to be honest, it's it's not bad at all. I, I even came close friends with some of the people that I work with, other doctors at our hospital. I, I did for a short period of time become close friends with a technician, but I've had to kind of mitigate barriers on that end um Mm. you know just to keep a profession sense of professionalism at work so sometimes those don't work out the way that you'd like them to um so that was a little bit of a challenge for me when I first got out and then moving forward was able to make really really strong connections with other doctors on our team and then also other people in the community that have gotten me a little bit out of my box to do other things that I don't and usually do And then you are currently a participant of the Power of Ten, which is a leadership program. And from when I talked to you recently, um, you said that often people feel a little isolated when they graduate. And this has been an opportunity where you've been able to form friendships and relationships. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. The Power of Ten has been a great way to make and form a new community, not necessarily in Dallas, because the Power of 10 people are from all over Texas. Mm -hmm. But we have been able to connect. The Power of 10 program is essentially a leadership program where you bring new graduates graduating within the last seven years that are basically doctors in the state of Texas. And they bring us together and they teach us about emotional intelligence and our emotional well-being and how to take care of ourselves. We have people come in and talk to us about finances and um, also, we learn about uh, veterinary advocacy, and we have a legislative day, and then we also meet up at SWIVS, and we're able to grow and develop and learn more about the or, the aspect of organized veterinary medicine, like such as the TVMA, and how to get more involved with that. And the girls, our class is all girls, so the mm-hmm. girls that I've met through this program, they're just phenomenal. They're all amazing leaders and incredibly intelligent people, and they've definitely helped me overcome some of those gaps that I was feeling Mm -hmm. from being away from my close group of friends from veterinary school. I've Mm -hmm. now kind of invested into this newer group of veterinarians that are a little bit of everywhere, but since we reconvene so frequently throughout the year, it's incredibly nice to reconnect with them and kind of share in some of our, you know, concerns and our joys that we're all going through together and just to... I guess walk through life with because you know that's a huge part of it too not just the medicine but outside life so yeah I, they're really great yeah <laughs> and so some of the stuff that you've learned emotional intelligence communication conflict resolution how have you brought that into your professional or even personal life yeah so a little bit of everywhere to be honest yeah <laughs> um the Communication training what that uh, Dr. Cornell and Dr. Tace put on at Texas A&M was phenomenal. I pretty much use that in every conflict conversation or if I want to give feedback to a staff member. Mm-hmm. That's definitely the way that I try to go about doing it. Um, emotional intelligence is we took an ESCI test, which is basically like evaluating your own emotional intelligence and how other people that you work with 
evaluate your emotional intelligence and it gives you areas on how to improve which can definitely be hard to look at you know your weaknesses but it's also great because you can learn areas of growth and how to become more in contact with other people and more relational to other people and that helps strengthen relationships in the workplace and at home so both kind of (laughs) and then um Let's see. At the legislative day, we got to go around and meet our state representatives and our state senators, and we got to introduce ourselves and provide ourselves as a contact in order for them to, you know, reach out to us if there's ever a veterinary bill or legislation trying to go through on something that the TVMA either supports or does not support. And so we're able to, you know, provide contact information. And so if there's ever a veterinary issue, they can call us directly. And so that was really really fun too, getting to meet them and have one-on-one time with them. So how do you think participating in the program will influence your involvement in TVMA? It sounds like people learn leadership skills, which will allow them to be prepared to be leaders in local, state, national VMAs. Exactly. So I think that the best way that the Power of Ten introduces leadership as one by just giving you an intro to it and then it also gives us building blocks on how to become more involved and like you said you know it's as simple as starting at your local VMA mm-hmm. and then even getting involved on the state level with the TVMA and even some people even progress up to the national level at the AVMA and so essentially the main part for me as far as moving up in leadership I do hope to you know eventually one day get more involved with organized veterinary medicine I don't know exactly what that looks like right now or what committee that would be but baby steps are you know moving forward to getting on a committee and then which I'm already on but then moving forward to you know being a lead for a committee and then slowly working up uh, I guess the chain of command in order to just provide leadership all these people volunteer their time and I think that's a big part of veterinary medicine is we in order to uphold our profession and protect it we have to be the voice of it and Mm -hmm. so to be educated on these different aspects and be able to speak out and speak for um, you know all the people that work so hard maybe other people that can't even get there but we have a duty as veterinarians to uphold our profession and to speak on behalf of it and so I think by becoming a leader in organized veterinary medicine and even having relationships with you know the senators or the state representatives all these are basically ways in order to protect ourselves and make sure that we're taken care of and that we're heard and I think the only way that you get heard is by speaking up and so I think the best way to do that is just to take initiative and be a leader and um yeah, so I'm, I'm obviously very passionate about leadership yeah. <laughs> and uh, just take, taking the time and volunteering your time to be available to people and obviously doing this podcast you yeah. know, with you. I'm glad you're on the show right Yay. now. Um, so what would you say to someone who's a little on the fence about participating in the program? Um, yeah. yeah, I think that if you're on the fence, go to the website. Mm-hmm. Um both you and Abel are helping restructure the website, and I think that that's going to be a huge identifier. And if you don't think it's good for you right now, then it's always okay to reconsider the next year. You know, there are different components that you have to take into play. There's a time commitment. Your, you know, your hospital manager has to be on board with you taking some of those weekends, or for me anyway, switching weekends around, so mm-hmm. that way I can be able to participate in these. Obviously. Some of these are weekend shifts, and I work a lot of weekends, yeah. <laughs> you know, being in an emergency hospital. So in order for me to be able to participate, I had to make sure my hospital um, staff was on board and my employer was on board with me being 
able to participate. And then, you know, a financial component is definitely an aspect too. So if there is a reason that you're on the fence, I'd say one, you should do it, but two, also make sure that when you do it, you're able to enjoy it and be able to show up for everything. Um, because you're going to get out as much of it as you're able to invest into it. And the more time you can spend with the people that are in your P10 group, the better relationships you're going to form. And the more time you can truly be present and learn the material, the more you're going to take it and apply it to your everyday life. Mm -hmm. So if you're on the fence, I'd say go for it, you know, apply, see if you get it, but also, you know, make sure it's the right time of life for you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe the first year you're out of school, it's not the right time, but maybe the second year you're out of school than it is, you know, so, and we have a long time span to to apply so yeah. I think they have like seven years or mm-hmm. something so technically they say recent graduate but seven years seems like a long time to me but maybe yeah. not to people who have graduated seven years so right. there's a there's a wide range of people that can apply and be able to participate in the program so if it's not okay for you right now stay interested keep following up with it and then maybe apply the next year the power of 10 program is being postponed for 2020 due to the uncertainty surrounding the pandemic Rest assured, TVMA is deeply committed to the program, so it will resume in 2021. And so the Power of 10 is just one of the benefits you've had of being a TVMA member. Um, What are some of the other benefits you've experienced? So there's been a lot of benefits that I've been able to achieve from being a TVMA member. I'd say a lot of it comes from the conferences and being able to just reconnect with people that I've basically met throughout my career Mm -hmm. so simply you know from school and then also being able to reconnect with people like professors and Mm -hmm. and different leadership here also at the TVMA and I think being able to show up and be present is incredibly important to you know developing your own leadership and developing your own skills and if you do want to be a leader in the TVMA or organized veterinary medicine then it's incredibly wise to stay and to get involved as soon as possible and even if it's a little bit later down the road you know getting involved now there's no time like the present right (laughs) you know so you can always get involved now that first year after graduating the there aren't any dues for a new graduate and then after that you start to pay on your dues and um just the amount of contacts and the resources Mm -hmm. that I've been able to accumulate from being a TVMA member have been infinite. And the power of 10 is just a huge, it provided me with even more of those resources and those contacts for people that I can rely on. So it sounds like a lot of good networking and making connections. And um, have you had any mentors that you've um, gained through being a TVMA member? So I'd say that I have a lot of really close, I have a lot of mentors that are also TVMA members, but I don't know that I met them through the TVMA. Okay. So kind of, (laughs) I guess, if that answers the question. Um, But I have made an incredible amount of friends and just getting plugged in to the TVMA has really been able to affect my leadership, grow me as an individual, and then also um, hopefully one day help the profession as well. So is there anything you wish you had known when you first graduated that you know now? Yes. Um, Let's see. So I'd say the most important thing that I wish I would have known prior to exiting school is just the level of 
I'd say it'd be the level of just emotion that people can feel when they come into an exam room with you. And I feel like I'm a great communicator. I went through a ton of communication training. I absolutely love the subject. It's incredibly impressive to me how we can, you know, get people's emotions to change based on how we talk to Mm -hmm. them. And so I think the biggest thing for me was realizing that sometimes those communication strategies don't always work. Like sometimes people are just going to be mad Mm -hmm. and like, I have to be okay with that sometimes, you know, I can say all the right things and offer all the right compromises and they may still be mad that, you know, it costs X amount of dollars to treat their pet for X disease, you know, and I have to be okay with that. And I don't think that that was something that I was really prepared for. Mm -hmm. As far as, you know, coming out a new grad, feeling like I was good at communication. I took extra communications electives in school. I've done, you know, oral reasons and stuff through 4-H growing up. I did livestock judging and dairy judging and those were able to help with that. Food show, all the things that should, you know, (laughs) increase your ability to speak with people. And then for some reason when I got out and became a doctor, sometimes people were just still mad. And I didn't quite understand it for a while. But then I went to more and more communication trainings throughout the time and started to realize, you know, we can do all the special conversations and we can use all the special tactics to make them settle. And most of the time people will, but some, it doesn't work for everyone. And like, that's okay. And I think that that was probably the hardest thing for me was understanding that I had a training in something and then wanting them to listen or wanting them to kind of pivot and be happy with me or at least to not be angry with me maybe not happy depending on the situation but just to take it for what it was and then for us to be on the same page and sometimes people didn't want that Mm -hmm. so you just can't take things personally yeah I'd say that yeah you sometimes you can't take take things personally yeah you have to have like a, a little bit of a tough coat on sometimes when you work in the emergency department there's a lot of emotions and a lot of um high you know and think about how they're feeling too like they're probably really scared when they come in their dog's been bitten by another dog or you know their dog's starting to cough up blood and that's really scary so you know you have to take a minute too to put yourself in their shoes so even if they're mad you know maybe they're not actually mad at you maybe they're just scared or maybe there's a something else financially that they have going on so there's a lot of ways to process it it may not be about you at all is basically the main thing yeah so it it may not they may not actually be mad at you maybe they're upset with their life circumstances or something along those lines yeah and sometimes you're just like in the middle of that or you end up being like a guiding force for them yeah definitely and so sometimes it's just easiest to say hey man like I know that this is incredibly hard I can't imagine what you're feeling Mm -hmm. right like this is a tough situation and I don't know what your life circumstances are I don't know what you're going through and right now all I know is that your dog is sick and I want to help and let's move forward Mm -hmm. is there anything else you'd like to share about being a recent graduate a veterinarian the p10 program anything you didn't feel like you got a chance to share so I'd say if you're interested even at all about doing the p10 program you should look it up I definitely recommend doing some 
you know, research, seeing it if it is right for you. We have all types of people do the P10. So we have introverted people, extroverted people. It doesn't, you know, mean that you can't always grow as a leader. Everyone can always grow as a leader. So I think that it's a great opportunity for you to learn. I think that if you're not a TVMA member, you should definitely check it out. (laughs) It's totally worth it. (laughs) And I also think that getting involved in whatever way is right for you. You know, maybe for me, it's legislative day and getting involved in government relations. And maybe for other people, there are different ways that they can get involved and participate. And the main thing is just to be a voice, even if it's serving on a committee and you can only be there once a year, you know, it's still something, it's showing up and it's being there and speaking on behalf of everyone else. And I think that that's a huge part of medicine. And then, you know, just having a positive attitude, showing up to work, you know, enjoying what we do. It is such a great opportunity to have this exclusive, um, I guess, opportunity and then also like responsibility to uphold and to take care of all these little patients and even though you know it may be the middle of the night and you're tired like you can definitely appreciate and understand the different things that people are going through Mm -hmm. learn about communicating learn how to interact with clients and how to speak to them appropriately I think that those are all great tidbits you know moving forward as far as things that I wish I would have known earlier (laughs) you know you can never have too many communication trainings and then also just be you know being encouraging to other people that want to apply to veterinary school and also being encouraging to other veterinarians you know there's times where we need consults with one another so you know uphold our profession don't talk bad about other veterinarians and work together and I think that if we work together you know we can achieve great things. So because you're so new to the workforce, do you have a five or 10 year plan or a goal? Or are you just taking one day at a time? Oh, I'm definitely a planner for okay. sure. <laughs> so um, I have a lot of goals. Uh, I am just got accepted into the UT MBA program. So I'm going to be getting nice. my MBA. Yeah, I really am passionate about business leadership development, you know, developing efficient standard operating procedures. I feel like sometimes the people making decisions for veterinarians aren't necessarily people who are veterinarians, Mm -hmm. you know? So I want to be able to be a voice and kind of merge those two, um, promote up the ladder and hopefully be able to be on an executive board that helps, you know, be the voice for veterinarians. And then also with a great understanding of business in order to make the business side most efficient and, you know, it flourish essentially. Mm -hmm. So how do we combine those in order to make the veterinarians feel heard and a part of the process while at the same time still making smart decisions in order to better run a business. So is that going to be an online program for you or are you going to be? Oh, it's uh, every other weekend. So the weekends that I have free, I'll probably just be taking classes. So yeah, it'll it'll be a fun, (laughs) fun one. Yeah. So when will you graduate? When will you earn that degree? So I start in August and then I'll graduate in May, 2020 two okay yeah I was like how many years is it two years now so okay. I'll graduate in May 2022 wow well best of luck to you that's really exciting yeah so. I'm super pumped I'm excited that I got accepted it's a working professional program so they basically let you work while you get your degree okay. which is incredibly important to me because I love medicine I don't want to give it up I want it to be what drives me to get good at business and to you know develop into that mindset with um, you know potentially moving into that executive circle of mm-hmm. kind of combining those roles of both uh, the veterinary side and in the business side 
So you're talking about UT Austin or a different city? So UT Austin is, so it's through the McCombs Business School. Okay. But they do have a satellite campus in Dallas. Got it. So I'll technically only be driving to Dallas. They use the same professors that teach in the MBA program down here. They just commute um, on some weekends up there so we can get, yeah, it's called the UT McCombs Working Professional Program. They have one in Dallas and they have one in Houston. Nice. Um, So did you apply for that? Last year, like, how quickly out of uh, veterinary school did you end up applying for your MBA? Yeah, so I started uh, filling out the application in August of this year. So I guess that would be just a little over a year after getting out of veterinary school. Mm -hmm. And then my application was due in October. And then I heard back from them, I guess, in December or January. That's really exciting. Yeah, so I'm really excited. So hopefully one day be able to be you know, a, a leader, not only, you know, with the TVMA, but hopefully a leader on a more business and professional side as well. Um, so hopefully growing that aspect of my medicine and also growing that aspect of my business knowledge in order to promote and develop companies in order to help, you know, make veterinary medicine even better. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I learned so much about you. Yeah, this is so fun. That was Dr. Bethany Weinheimer talking about her journey as a recent graduate, from the big wins to the big losses. She walked us through what it felt like receiving her acceptance letter into veterinary school, and then four years later, introducing herself as Dr. Weinheimer to clients on her first day on the job. You can hear more about Dr. Weinheimer's journey as an ER doctor in a future episode. It centers around the hospital she works at, Veterinary Emergency Group also known as VEG. She and the founder of VEG, Dr. David Bessler, talk about how VEG is revolutionizing ER medicine in the profession. Stay tuned for that episode. We hope you have enjoyed our mini-series for recent graduates. Even though the series is over, we still want to hear stories related to recent graduates. So if you have a story to share, please contact me. My information is in the show notes. On the next episode of Veterinary Vitals, you'll hear from a veterinarian who is only one of about 300 in the world. She's a board-certified veterinary cardiologist. We may not be able to, you know, fix a broken heart necessarily, but we can give the owners, the clients, ideas about what to expect, what to look for, what to do if you notice these things. It gives some of the power back to them. That was Dr. Katie Meyer. She works for CVCA Cardiac Care for Pets in Austin. She talks about her journey of becoming a veterinary cardiologist and what it felt like to literally remove heartworms from one of her patients. Tune in to hear that story. For now, please rate the show and write a review. Thank you for tuning in to Veterinary Vitals. I'm your host, Dina Goldstein from TVMA.